Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. This is my first Sunday night nightlight show. Um, it's also Nightlight Part Two's Christmas show. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I made Barbara's naughty list, but Santa flew over the nightlight chimney anyways on a test flight for his new sleigh, and he managed to drop off and appreciated early gift we have a priest this Sunday before Christmas so uh, we're very thankful that Reverend Ed Broderick had time to work us into tonight's show with uh, just all the hectic uh, next few days we have before you know the holidays so um, you may have heard Reverend Ed's The Road to Hope on our Mutual Friends Network, the uh, Global Enlightenment Radio Network. He's a great guy. We have next couple hours to get inspired for the holidays and put it into practice for the new year. Merry Christmas, Reverend Ed. How are, how are you? Thanks for joining us tonight. Well, thank you very much for such a uh, warm intro. I appreciate that. And, um, hey, well, Merry Christmas to you, too. It is very nice and refreshing thank you. to be able to say Merry Christmas and for the happy holidays. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> cool, yeah. So, yeah, so we might as well just get right into it. Um, let's start at the beginning. You know, a couple... 
you know, a couple thousand years ago, you know, you got the manger scene and the magi following the star of Bethlehem, the uh, infant uh, Jesus, frankincense. Uh, so what does all of this mean? What's the legacy from, you know, two millennia ago? Hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> that is a very – that's a loaded question, my friend. But um, I guess I, well, I was going to go – go ahead. Yeah, you, have, you have two. I, you know, this is like one of those questions I thought, you know, just uh, – you know, might need a three-hour show. <laughs> for, that's, for why have, the, you know, that's why you have Road to Hope, exactly. <laughs> uh, yes, well – for me, Christmas is God responding back to mankind's cry for for help. It's, it's the uh, it's the day that God gave the earth a sign saying, "I heard you." And well, again, it's it's um all of it. It's like a, it's a it's a synchronistic story. It, it's it's a historic event, but also it is a, an allegorical event, and uh, it's just packed with so much meaning. For instance, the tradition of, uh, we'll say, uh, Melchior, Gaspar, and um, see if I can remember the other guy's name, Bathazar. Those were the three wise men that purportedly saw, uh, you know, went to go see Jesus, the infant Jesus. But by that time, he was actually a toddler, and he was already living in a house. So uh, the wise men did not actually show up at Jesus' birth. The only ones that showed up at his birth were shepherds uh, because they had that supernatural event where, can you imagine? They're just sitting out there, relaxing talking to each other, probably laughing about something that happened during the day. It's all dark out. And all of a sudden, the the reality rips open and these beings of brilliant light are shouting and declaring the birth of a child. I don't know about you, but after I recovered my wits, I would want to see what was going on. Sounds reasonable. Yeah. So you you have that. But also, again, when we look at the story, we have to look at it from an Eastern perspective, not a Western one. So a lot of tradition we have to kind of dig through. For instance, the birth of Jesus did not happen in the wintertime. It happened, they say, they believe that it happened more in the time of spring. But because of uh, the Roman Catholic Church at the time was trying to become all-inclusive, to the um, culture of the day, they uh, placed the birth of Jesus during the birth of the god Saturnalia, the holiday of celebrating Saturn. But it, so they, uh, they switched things around, they took liberties. So Christmas is actually on a pagan holiday. Is that a surprise? Or what? No. But mm-hmm. they, you know, I guess we kind of have to look at it from 
the fact that something actually did happen, but the dates were askew. Is that a shocker to you? you I think you already knew that, didn't you? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I've heard it, but not from an authority. Oh, yes, they did. They they switched it about. Some say they did it to make it more um, um, appealing. Appealing, exactly. You know, like a, you know, seeker friendly. Others say that um, it was more because they wanted to um, become more powerful and incorporate other religions. So uh, either way, uh, they did. They sat at a council and they said, from now on, we're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior on the birth of a pagan god. So, yep. Okay. Um, now, now that, as... doesn't change the, that does not change the facts. It doesn't change the facts that the wise men did come. It doesn't change the facts. See, again, if you're looking at if you strip away the religious tradition, which has always been my thing, to strip away religious tradition and teach the spiritual truth in as, as is plainly revealed in Scripture, you know, if you stick with the Scripture, it will save you from being entrapped by the religious tradition. So um, it said that they were in the house and the wise men came and they presented treasures I mean, it wasn't just like a little tiny box of gold. I mean, they were loaded down with treasures of gold and treasures of frankincense and myrrh. Frankincense representing um, life, the, the divine life, acknowledging that this child is a divine being and as well as human. And myrrh was the, the spice that they used for um, preservation of the dead. So uh, they were basically honoring the life of this child from beginning all the way through the end. But at the same time, an uh, active worship because they weren't looking for a king. They were looking for a divine king, the God-man. And that's why they gave okay, so Okay, so or- – Early on um, in Jesus' life, uh, Herod was really threatened by this uh, – the divine king. Yes. Um you know, one of the things that I want to get to at some point, and it's, might as well just go into it now, is mm-hmm. um, when you know, you do your uh, podcasting. Um, You know, you know, you know, we, you know, we do our shows. You know, usually Mondays and uh, Tuesdays. Uh, you know, we, you know, 
were not always getting the uh, traditional mainstream message out there. But, you know, Jesus and his family knew right off the bat that um, they had to go underground. Do you feel like uh, your podcasting uh, is you know, a little bit like a challenge to the authorities? Mm. Yes. In a way, absolutely, because – you know, Jesus didn't have a problem with the sinner. Jesus didn't have a problem with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus didn't have a problem with the tax collectors. Jesus didn't have a problem with people who knew they were guilty. Because he was all about speaking life and that having more abundantly. The people that he had a problem with, or rather the people that had a problem with him, was the establishment the established religion of the day. Even though he was literally teaching the essence of the Torah and, you know, the Torah teachings, people who were wrapped up in the religious tradition didn't like it at all because it was setting people free from it. And there's a big difference. There's a form of Christianity out there that does not serve Jesus. And the Jesus that they're putting up there is not the Jesus of the scripture. And so, I guess you could say, here I am, I come along with Road to Hope, and I'm presenting from the scripture in context the principles that Jesus set forth. Again, it produces the same kind of fruit that Jesus did. So, if that is a threat to someone or a threat to a a church somewhere, it is because they are not teaching it. And they should. Um, you know, Bar- Barbara's the one who who got censored. I just had a, a show pulled down for uh, other reasons, but I got framed on that one. Bar- Bar- Barbara was drew the ire of the <laughs> YouTube <laughs> censors, but. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Yeah, that that happened to me. Yeah, yeah. but but yeah, it it does happen, and you know, it wasn't. uh, Yeah, it's just how you define community standards, and you know, you. I guess uh, with a show title like "Road to Hope," I like. I don't think you're uh, going into, you know, rants that are going to, you know, cause the people to, you know, the peasants to go go out with their uh, pitchforks. But exactly. you know, there, it, there, there is uh, a need. For the truth to get out there, it's just 
some of us have been confined to podcasting. Yep, it's not it, it's not the mainstream news, but you know, they've also lost a lot of their credibility as well. I was part of a radio station that was out of a church and became a very popular Christian radio station in Rhode Island. And I was asked to come on upon occasion to deliver like a five or a ten minute message. And then there would be a Q&A. Well, one day I was called into the office. The manager of the radio station was talking to me because they felt like maybe I wasn't a good fit anymore because they had discovered on my Facebook page that I believed in blessing and cleansing houses of evil spirits. I said, wait a minute. Okay. Doesn't the Bible say that the believer carries the authority to drive out evil spirits? Yes. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, there's that's the example of the yeah the legions and the pigs right. story. Exactly. So I said, so you're censoring me because I actually don't sit around talking about it. I actually go and do this. And you can't agree with that? They're like, yes. I said, then you're disagreeing with the Bible. So, frankly, I have no use for you because clearly you have left the true meaning of the scripture. And then I left. No, I didn't mean that to be disrespectful, but, you know, if you're going to throw me out because I'm actually walking out what Jesus said I could do, the issue isn't with me. The issue is with you. You know, Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do, and even greater will you do because I'm ascending to my Father. He was implying that he was going to give the same power source he had to his people. And so it, so then... Uh, at the Great Commission, when he says, now go out and all the world and declare the truth of the gospel so people be set free. And as a result of that, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. And apparently, this Christian radio station that stood up for God's holy word just felt like I was not a good fit. So, And that surprised me. I cannot tell you how shocked I was with that, but alas, there it is. You know, with with um, I don't know, you know, Barbara and I have been talking about it a lot over the last year, maybe. Um, and you know, I believe I have mentioned it a few times in the last. Uh, Oh, four months or so that, that, that you know, during this pandemic, you know, we've had so many of our author friends have had time to write uh, two books a year. Uh, you know, for for example, you know, David Brody has written e- even 
you know, uh, more books about the uh, treasures of the Holy Land and uh, how he works them into his <clears throat> story with uh, Cam and uh, Astarte and all their uh, action adventure tales tales that uh, they get involved right. in. Um, But, you know, Dave is just one example of of more authors writing about uh, their their research into uh, biblical mysteries, explorations of the Bible. Um, Maybe even David would be including uh, a lot of – Templars bringing treasures and relics uh, from the Holy Land to Oak Island and other North American countries. I find that during the last couple years that there is more of a uh, interest, resurgence, in studying the Bible just because there is so much total chaos going on every day. It's kind of, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, it's end of times and, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's, uh, you get a lot of really, uh, dark uh, prophecies uh, and statements being made. Uh, do, do you find there's that there are a lot more people um, becoming very interested in the word? Yes, but for different reasons. There are some that. Um, and I, and I think every reason is a, is a valid one, as long as you're getting the revelation of truth in you. Some will study it out because they want to write and they want to, you know, debunk the scriptures. This is why the Bible is not the inerrant word. So we're going to write this book and we're going to debunk the, the Bible. Some will study it because they want to, they wish to study out the prophecy and, you know, fit what's going on with with uh, with prophecies, but in the end, the seed, which is the word of God, is, is being planted in the hearts of people. There's always going to be chaos in this world because this world is uh, the 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 ones who own it are in chaos. If this was a, a see, people make the mistake of thinking that God is ruling over this world. He is not. He turned the keys over to humanity. And as long as humanity is in a state of flux and transition and chaos, the world will always be a reflection of that. Uh, there's always going to be that um, cry for answers. But, again, there's always light in chaos. There's always going to be a beacon that's going to be out there that will draw people. 
Um, I'm reminded of when the exorcist came out and churches were, especially the Catholic church, churches were being inundated with, uh, you know, new parishioners because literally that movie scared the, the, the bejesus out of them, you know, they were terrified and they were like, oh, we need to, and there was a, you know, we need to, who knows, repent, whatever. But people automatically have within themselves, I guess, a switch that gets flipped when the, when chaos happens, when the disaster happens, immediately they think of God. I mean, think about insurance companies. When a disaster happens out of the blue, what do they say? It's an act of God. When it really wasn't. But nonetheless, so within us, uh, as as, uh, Solomon said, within humanity, God has placed eternity. So there is a part of us that is an eternal part, a spirit part. And whenever chaos happens, it's it, that part of us yearns for reconnection or yearns to be um, safe. You know what I mean? So, that's, uh-huh. you know, like books come out. Rabbi Kushner was talking about why do bad things happen to good people? That's why I say that the Christmas event, the nativity, is God's way of saying, I have heard you, and I am presenting to you the solution. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Keep keep going. And that's... that's, um, that's how I see it. It's like from generation to generation, when God created a, a new type of people, it was almost like a prototype. Blood packs and blood oaths are so important. Blood is the carrier of life. Therefore, if you make a pact in blood, you're literally becoming one with the person that you make an oath with because they're sharing blood now. And when God created the Hebrew nation, he did it through an old man, Abraham. But at that point was when the solution started taking form. And part of a covenant is that whatever belongs to one belongs to the other. And whatever secrets one possesses automatically belong to the covenant partner. So there's no secrets when someone is in a blood pact. And so from generation to generation, God was unveiling himself, the nature of reality, the nature of humanity. And along with that, there was um, revelation given that there would be a solution to the chaos in this world. There'd be a solution to the storm that rages within the heart of every man. And um, that day would come. You know, we hear that song, you know, the, the um, Hallelujah Chorus. Unto us a child is born. 
unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. We'll call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Even in the book of Genesis, God tells Eve that one day a male child will be born who will destroy the works of darkness. And then Isaiah comes along and he prophesies that there will be a male child that is born that literally literally will be God with skin. So then that day comes and all of those prophecies, because we know that words carry power, but a lot of people don't realize that heaven is voice activated. And reality is affected by what we say. Solomon said, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Whereas a man thinketh in his heart, so he becomes. So is that connection. Our words carry power. And so those prophecies literally carry the very power of creation. When it's passed down from generation to generation, it's like a seed that's planted in the ground. We were talking about that earlier when I talked about the acorn. Inside the acorn mm-hmm. is the actual oak tree. Well, prophecy is the same thing, except it's literally the prototype of a new world, of a solution to an old problem. So here's, the, here's Mary. The angel comes. The word angel actually comes from the Greek word angelis, which means messenger. So here's a messenger. He comes, and he unfolds the prophecy to Mary. There's the seed. Mary says, be it done unto me according to your word. Literally takes the seed within herself. And then the prophecy which carries the actual power of God is released within the womb and the body of the Christ is formed. And it's amazing because, uh, as I had said, the Christmas story ties right in with Mark chapter 4, the parable of the farmer, where the seed was, falls on different soils. And it shows that this is how the universe operates. This is how my kingdom operates. If you apply these principles in your own life, you'll get the same kind of results that God does. And even the Christmas story is a demonstration of that very principle. So God himself caused himself to be conformed to his own rules. That amazes me. Amazes me to no end. Okay, and, and the um, planting on top of a rock and the uh, sower uh, really doesn't have any uh, – is going to have a poor crop because there's the, – the, the root's not really ground right. Right. in anything. <laughs> Right, because the seed, right, when you've, again, if we look at it from a Eastern perspective, back then what they would do is after they, you know, plowed the soil so the ground is all broken up, they didn't plant things in rows like we did. They would just take the seed and fling it wherever it landed is wherever it landed. So they would just walk around flinging seed everywhere. Some seed would fall on the pathway. Some seed would fall on rocky areas, and some seed would fall on, you know, thorny areas. But some seed would fall on good soil, 
and the good soil would receive the seed, and the seed by itself, no effort on the part of the soil, the seed by itself went to work, and it produced 30, 60, and 100 times as was planted. That was Jesus' way of explaining that each soil is like a consciousness of a person, or the heart, the subconscious in, in, in essence, of, of each type of person. There'll be those people who will, who will hear revelation from heaven, and it'll just go right over their head, it'll be gone. Some will hear it, but because other people will be going, what are you doing and persecuting the guy for even having a relationship with God? Eventually, he'll give it up. Some people will have a stony heart. And so the seed will go in there, they'll take it at first, and they'll be glad about it, but then maybe soccer practice happens, or maybe their job, that their new job they've been waiting for just happens to be during the time when uh, it takes the time of church or the time of prayer, and it affects their relationship with the Creator. And so it dies. But then there are those people who realize that a relationship with God doesn't mean I have to conform to some kind of religious organization. It's it's about having an intimate relationship with the one who created you. And as you receive revelation from him and you believe it, it that revelation then transforms the person because that's how God operates. He releases his supernatural power through words. When you receive that, then the dynamic powers released within them, transforming them into the divine ideal they were created to be. And thus, reality uh, bends and shifts to the power of the creative uh, word that was spoken. And so Christmas really is about God answering the cry of mankind, releasing his word that would forever change the face of humanity. The sower parable, and there's also in the other agricultural parables, you know, like the mustard seed and Darnell, and you know the uh, you, know, you shall uh, know them by their fruits um, statement. Yeah, you know, there's so much. Of you know this uh, farming type philosophy that Jesus saw that really made some uh, powerful ob- observations of. Uh, Human nature, how the God works, and and I, yeah, it's like the always like the mustard seed with the it's the smallest seed, but you know it can grow into a huge uh, bush, and and the birds can land on it, and it's strong enough to have, uh, yeah. you know, provide shelter for a- animals. I, I really uh, liked 
how the you know, cattle and the shepherds from you know early on, you know the early images uh, continued throughout uh, Jesus's life. Yes, absolutely. Well, Jesus, Jesus was the, or is, I guess you could say, Jesus is the master apologist. So he was able to take the environment that he was in and teach the cosmic supernatural principles of the universe in such a way as to, you know, through the things he observed. I mean, but if you look at him for who he really is, I mean, he created all that in the first place. So he's just using what he created. Like, for instance, death, burial, and resurrection. So what does he do? He has a butterfly. You've got this creature that is spineless, worm-like, not at all uh, looking like it has much of a destiny. And yet then it dies, and it puts itself in like a little sarcophagus and after a while he emerges but he emerges into this brand new being of this beautiful butterfly but little did we know that inside that caterpillar was the actual butterfly you know that's so he uses that and demonstrates to us that locked within us is another species of humanity that is yet to emerge. A divine, well, I can't say restored, even better than restored, a divine expression in human form. Jesus is the prototype of that. He was the first of this new humanity that was to walk the earth. And that's why the angels were explosive, because here's this, Here's this infinite being who created them, humbling himself to the form of a human being so that he could take human beings and restore them back to a place uh, at the table of the divine. So that's why Christmas is so amazing. And Reverend, you were just talking about these divine expressions or earlier you mentioned uh, you know, silver linings and e- events when you know, there's a devastating incident like the Tennessee and Kentucky uh, or, uh, tornado uh, from last yeah. week, um, you know, they uh, uh, that that was like biblical proportion type devastation. You know, uh, you know, a week before Christmas. To, uh, you know, it, it, it's you know what I've seen on TV just is uh, heart wrenching. How does someone uh, t- 
talk with a survivor and encourage them at uh, at, at this stage where you know some you know these adults are uh, going to have to start their lives over again. Um, what's some kind of you know, like the training you had that can encourage people to keep going on and it almost really doesn't have to uh, it, it could be applied to almost any traumatic event mm. yes um yeah, we had talked about that earlier, and uh, it reminded me of an event that only is mentioned once in all of the Bible, in all of the New Testament. It's uh, You can find that in the Gospel of Luke, if I'm not mistaken, it's probably chapter 13, uh, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and there was an event that had happened around that same time where I think it was like 18 people had died because this huge tower in the town of Siloam literally fell over and killed them. And so, of course, the question was raised to the rabbi, to to Jesus, what about that? You know, where does this fit in? And Jesus' response was um, very simple. He was like, this will happen. So, you know, uh, what's the saying? Um, I can't think of the saying at the moment, but it will come to me as I'm talking. But So this tower falls, it kills all these people, and you know what happens, okay? You know what that saying, um, the S word, happens. Stuff happens. And uh-huh. he's saying, bad things will happen. But it's not about the the bad things that happen. It's about you individually. So he was bringing it back to personal, uh, and this, in this case, personal repentance. Okay, these bad things happen. What's the purpose in that? But then he's like, well, bad things will happen. But here's the real point. How is your relationship with your creator? In the end, that's what it's really about. Yeah, bad things happen to good people. Absolutely. It isn't because God's out to get you. It isn't because Satan's trying to, you know, kill everybody. It, it, we live in a very tumultuous world. It is of my own personal belief that if you are turbulent within, I'm sure Barbara will agree with me on this one, if you're turbulent within, then your life is going to show the turbulence without We are um, inexplicably connected to the reality around us. So if you have a tumultuous culture, then you're going to have disasters happening because it is a reflection of what's going on inwardly. And so with the tower falling and all that, you know, men must change before kingdoms can. And so he brought it back to the individual. It doesn't matter what... This person's doing what that person's doing, whether there's an earthquake over here in the end, it's how is your connection with your creator? Because 
if individuals turned and brought themselves back to a place of union with divine love and with God, then then the turbulence would not be there because one by one, people would... The word repent, by the way, is kind of a scary word. It's a very religious word. The word repent in the Greek is metanoia. It means to change your mind. That's all repentance really means. It just means you're in one direction and you're like, hey, wait a minute. I think I need to change direction. So that's all it is. So he was like, listen, you guys are heading in the wrong direction. You're trying to live your life from the outside in. It's time to live your life from the inside out as a result of that, of being, once again, restored to union with God. Then the power of God, the love of God, and the peace of God would be extended. And by virtue of that, then the reality around them will change. It always starts with the seed first. Always starts with individuals, then individuals, a group, and then a group, a culture, and a culture, a nation. So it always starts with one. Did that answer what, your question? Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I hoping that your words could help someone absolutely who is in need right now okay i could do that let's and, say yeah i just yeah if you're listening right now the sound of my voice it is not an accident it is because you have found yourself here and now because you needed to hear what's being said so what about the tragedy that may have happened in your life or maybe the tragedy that's happened in other people's lives all those things happen not because who knows there's many different kinds of reasons why something horrible would happen but in the end Use it. Take something that is tragic like that and use it and go, all right, well, that happened there, but I'm going to use it and I'm going to take an opportunity to change my mind. I'm going to trust that my creator, God, loves me enough to keep me safe. And if you're listening to this show, well, then Christmas is for you. This is about God hearing you. Your hearts cry for a change. Your hearts cry for new direction has been heard. And so like God's response to humanity, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, not towards each other, but towards men from God, revealing that there is no animosity between God, God and man. God is not mad at you. He's not even angry. He doesn't even have a bad attitude towards you personally. He wants to reach out to you and touch you and bring you the healing and the love that you deserve. If you're alive and breathing, it is because God created you to be a light, to be an extension of himself, to be the divine version which you were created to be. And that, my friend, 
starts with receiving the revelation and going, I am loved by God. I'll accept that. I believe that. Just that one thing, that God loves me unconditionally, and he keeps no record of wrong, that in itself is the very seed that you can plant in your heart. That revelation by itself, you don't even have to do anything. Just simply believe it. And these little synchronicities will start happening. You'll find yourself in the right place at the right time. Maybe you'll run into somebody. Maybe you'll see something on TV, whatever it might be. And it will continue to grow and grow and grow. And then, who knows, a month, two months, six months down the line, your life will definitely be different than it was originally. All because you turned the dial, switched on to this show, and you heard this message about how much God loves you, even in the midst of chaos. Because you don't know what those other people are going through, why it happened to them. That's between them and God. That's what Jesus was talking about. That was between them and God. But right now, this is about you and God. So thank you for tuning in. And... You know, when we were uh, talking earlier today, um, you said you, you, know, you also want to talk a little bit about the uh, power of manifestation, you know, what Absolutely. you said, an extension of that. Um, cause it, you know, you hear that a, a, a lot on shows, and, uh, you know, a lot of times it's more like, well, you thought that, and that's why you're living in uh, you know, this never-ending situation. It, it seems like I, I hear it more in a uh, punitive connotation. Um, but you know, you're providing more of an example where wanting to manifest uh, works for good things as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> we live in a culture where the angry God would sit on top of the mountain. That was the influence of Mesopotamian, Roman, and Greek mythology. The idea that at the end of your life, God tallies all the good and all the bad, and then determines which way you're going by the amount of the good and the bad, that's not even true. That's not even in the scripture. And yet, if I asked a Christian, people who call themselves Christian, if that scenario is true, I would say about 90% of them would say, yes, it is. And that's sad because that's not at all. You know, that's the thing that amazes me. So, uh, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that because we do live in a culture where we believe in a punitive system. God's mad at you. So he threw that tower down, the Tower of Siloam, just to demonstrate he's God. And all those people that died underneath that tower are now burning in hell. 
or whatever ridiculousness that religion comes up with. Like purgatory. I mean, they needed money to finish the Sistine Chapel. So they went through this council and religious, you know, the church fathers, and they were like, oh, okay, so there's purgatory. Well, what's the purpose of purgatory? Well, the purpose of purgatory is that if you're not good enough for heaven, but you're not bad enough for hell, so you go through purgatory to burn off whatever sins you may have, and then after you've gone through the process, you get to go into, into heaven. They used to have a rhyme that helped out because there was these offerings that you could give so that if you had a grandfather that you thought was in purgatory or something, if you gave a certain offering, that would free them from purgatory. And the, the, little, part, the little rhyme was, when the coin in the, in the cistern rings, a soul from purgatory shall spring. I find that outrageous, actually, because that literally spits in the face of Christ. Because I can quote uh, hundreds of scriptures that say that Jesus forgave all sin. First John 1, 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. Revelations 1, that he loves us and purged us from all our sin. So my question would be, where's purgatory and all that? There is none. There is no purgatory. So, and wait a second. If you've been cleansed from all sin, apparently you're not going to be burning either. So, it's, 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 I guess that's my purpose for Road to Hope is to give hope. Where's the hope if you think that at the end of your life you're going to be punished and burning forever? You know, like attracts like. So if you're a child of darkness and you die, well, then you're going to be attracted to the place that you resonate. So in a sense, I do believe in that. But it just, the whole purgatory thing, any, any form of, any, any shallow study, I'm not even talking about deep study, but a shallow study of the work of Christ on the cross, and it would be plain the whole purpose for Christmas, the nativity, was so that God would become a man so that he could demonstrate how to live a life under divine influence. When he died on that cross, he did that as us, for us, so that, I guess you could say, God became man, so in essence, mankind could rise to the level of God. That sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? Yeah, it does sound a little bit like what this snake said to Eve. Yes, but here's the difference, and I'm glad you said that. Because if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, it says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. So what's the difference then if I'm seated in the heavenly places in Christ – basically sitting at the table with God, raised to that level, well, then what does that mean then with the serpent? 
it means this. Eve was tempted to be something she already was. She was already a perfect creation. And the idea of becoming God was becoming God by her own effort, by her own strength, as if she could do it. So it was a deception because she had already been granted that. She was created on the sixth day so she could rest with God on the seventh as, as equals. It says that God walked with Adam in the garden. When, when, when you look at it from an uh, Eastern perspective, when you're walking with somebody in the garden, you're walking as compatriots. Now, I am not God in his entirety, but I have the nature of God, and I am part of the family of God. So, you know, if you have brothers and sisters, you guys are all equal, but you're not, you're not the entirety of your family. So in this respect, the serpent was deceiving Eve by eating of the tree. Now, here's the other thing. This is another misconception. Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So many times they cut off the good and evil part. Tree of knowledge. God doesn't want you to have knowledge. No, it's referring to the fact that what is the knowledge of good and evil but the law? And what is the law? The law is trying to achieve a level of perfection by human effort and will, and that can never happen. So instead of setting you free, the law kills you, and that's exactly what happened. They ate of the knowledge of good and evil, and immediately, instead of just receiving everything from heaven as a free gift, they tried to earn it. And immediately, from that point on, their reality shifted because they lost, I guess you could say, their vibrational level or whatever it might be. They lost their connection with God because they wanted to, do, they wanted to become God in their own effort, thus judging good versus evil. That was not God's way. But God at that point said, one day there will be one who will rise up that will correct everything and restore the divine image. Now, isn't it true, Mark, where that the, that the book of Genesis says that God created man in his image and likeness? True? Uh, yeah, and then there's the little passage about our image. Right. So we were created. Right. You let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Right. Some say, right. Some say that's like the royal decree. We... Or because that word God there is the word Elohim, which means gods, or the triune God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Well, if you're going to be in the image and likeness of someone, it means that you are made of the same stuff and you have the same nature as God. So right there, humanity was made to be like God in every way. So... There's nothing wrong with that. It's when we try to take it upon ourselves to be God. We can be God in our own strength. That's what happened with the Tower of Babel. They did not, they wanted to let God know that they weren't going to put up with the flood again. So they created the tower. This tower, who knows what it was? Maybe it was advanced technology, who knows? But 
the effect was very powerful. And God himself said, when humanity comes together and they're one thought, one mind, nothing will be denied them. So I have to go down there, break it up. And he did. But he eventually restored that because instead of the Tower of Babel, there was the rising of the body of Christ at Pentecost. They were of one mind. They were of one heart. But this time, they had been reconnected back to the divine. The image had already been restored. And then God was like, okay, no problem. Here, let me give you my power source. So that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is the restoration of the balance between the divine and humanity. It was God responding to the heart's cry of humanity, wanting to be restored again to that image and likeness that they once had. But I do want to talk about manifestation, and I know we've got, what, an hour? Sure. Yeah, yeah. so we've got that covered. So, but don't let me over uh, talk you. I don't want to take over your show, Mark. You have a great show, by the way. I wanted to tell you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad Barbara brought me on board. Um, You have a great show, Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you always got to be nice to the hostess. Yeah, Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she's. Uh, worked harder the last 12 years to build this up. I'm, <clears throat> I only had a couple mistakes that been chastised for, but you know, I think o- overall it's been a great uh, yeah, about three and a half years. And you know, I did want to uh, and you do a uh, good job, this. Mark. You really do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Barbara, do you you know, uh, while while you're chiming in, do you want to talk about the comet uh, Leonard, or do you want me to read it? No, you can you can no, read your it. Idea. I just found it. I found well, no, I found it fascinating that there was a comet that was streaking by the sky that we would never ha- never see again because of its orbit, and I think because of the times, it's sort of nice to be reminded of something that is cosmic slash celestial that is reminding us that, that even through time, the light does continue. Well said, Barbara. Remind me to send my collar to you. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I've, I've uh, actually uh, got one of my own, actually. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah Bar- Barbara's ordained, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I served in... Uh, the pulpit for five years so um thank you yeah, for your any, service. anything oh hey was a pleasure was so much fun I, I actually it was so much fun i kept forgetting to take the uh, collection but um <laughs> it was it, it was an adventure for me and and certainly an education and i did learn that that one can be way too serious and not get a message across and then one can get the congregation laughing and they'll remember the message forever. So exactly. they taught me a great lesson. No, but, say that's wonderful. The, you know, I think the the um the comet passing over and apparently it's it's been passing over for the last several days. 
Um, it's the Leonard comet. It's it's definitely been been out there for a very long time, and and we won't see it again for thousands of years. But just be, you know, it, it's sort of like I, I I I wrote something once. Just because you don't see a reflection doesn't mean there isn't something there casting a shadow, and I I think that's 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 the case of of faith. Just because you have no concrete evidence for it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And, you know, right. so many people, yeah. you know, want proof, and the proof is in our very existence. So, you know, it's, you know, you want a miracle, look at a sunrise. You want a miracle, look at a, a plant that grows out of nothing. You, um, I think people, people don't realize the miracles are all around us all the time, and, you know, they, and, and, I mean, you know, come on, give, give, give us a chance. We can walk on water. It does need to be frozen, but we can walk on it. And, you know, there's, you know, we can levitate if somebody scares us enough. I've jumped off the ground a couple of times, but it's, (laughs) it's, that, that, you know, the element of, of spirituality, um, while, while it's important to share as a group from time to time, it, it's it's important to share internally on your own level with with God. And I think Jesus did say that the best place to pray was in a closed room in the dark when you can talk to God yourself, rather than in a group where you're you're um, everybody knows what you're saying, so to speak. I just had this conversation just this afternoon. Literally, that very scripture that you're talking about. I actually had that conversation. So that's interesting ah. to know that. Yeah. Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Love it. But, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll give you back your show, Mark. But, but you know, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a very important time of the year to remember I, certainly what it's all about. You know, you know, be you pagan, be you Christian, you can celebrate the time for different reasons. But... But it's a time to to remember the source, and and to to honor the source and, and renew your connection to the source. You know, these are times of, you know, when you were speaking earlier, of, you know, you create your reality by your perception of it, and you're yeah. seeing a reality these days that is chaotic and frightened and rife with fear, and if you start with yourself and you you find joy inside of yourself, that's what you radiate. That's what you magnify, and that's what reality becomes. Exactly, and perfect love drives out all fear. Absolutely. So that that's that whole Christmas thing again. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would trust, rely, and cling to Him or believe. Mm-hmm. would have the God quality of life. Because they turned that into something that's a requirement, but it's not. You just have yeah. a physical manifestation of divine love, which then attracts whosoever will. As a result of being affected by that divine love, they change, and then they become instruments of divine love, and therefore the very atmosphere that is around them becomes transformed into a place of peace, and restoration, but it has to start with the seed first. Well, and, you know, we all have that seed within us. It's sort of like, 
why are you looking outside of yourself for what is inside of yourself and has always been there? And yep. that, I think, is one of the things that I wrestle with constantly with people. You know, you're, you're, you're asking a question to a God outside of yourself when God resides within yourself and look inside of yourself and find the solution to your problems within you. So, you know, that's a hard message to get across, especially this time of year. But, but, but <laughs> it's, it, you know, don't like to sling it back at everybody, but it's, I think it's a fascinating time. And, and the more you look at people and the more I talk to people and tell them that, that, that while there is a, a great deal going on in this country that is frightening, that that it gives you this this time we've been given a time out to find ourselves, to search within ourselves, to reconnect with the spirit within, and uh, those people exactly. that are taking this, those people that are utilizing this time in a positive way, have found all sorts of magic within their lives. And that's why and, there's an, an awakening going on. Yeah. Yeah. And and somebody somebody said to me tonight, you know, well, I know the solstice is coming up and then things are going to change. And I said, absolutely. And she said, well, yeah, but how? And I said, I don't know, but they're going to change. Every day is a new beginning. And, you know, it, it, and change is good. Change shakes you up. Change gets you out of your, your habits and your patterns. Change gets you into a fresher, more exciting element of life. And that's where I'm at. That's, yeah. It's, um, you know, I don't know what the change is going to be. I just know it's going to shake up my world, and I'm going to have to um, find new things to get excited about and find new things to do. And um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. If life is too easy, you don't understand what you're given. If you, if you have to continually grow, which is what most people you know, they get to a certain age and they feel, you know, I'm done, I've had it, no more. And when they stop growing, they stop living. So that, so that you know, it's, it's sort of like every time I take on a new adventure, and Mark has been an amazing new adventure for me. So um, what he brings to the show is, is always exciting and, and only infrequently in need of being edited in part, so um, <laughs> that's good. Usually, it's my mistake <laughs> for not paying attention. <laughs> but, but, but you know, it's 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 such an an exciting time. And it is. I I kind of I look around and I I, I see people mumbling and grumbling, and it's like. But, but see, but, that's the thing. But, you perpetuate what you complain about. So yeah. I, I have I have a saying, complain and remain, or praise and be raised. Yeah. So you yeah, yeah, go ahead. We're waiting for Mark. Hmm. Oh, no, I, I, I was just, uh, you know, pro- providing a commentary that uh, it's a uh, memorable quote, praise and be raised. Oh, it- well, it, it's true, and, and I tell lots of people, if you don't like what you're attracting into your life, 
then change yourself because you're a magnet. And, you know, if, if you don't like your situation, then change it because you've created it. It's, it's not like you're being, you know, punished. It's like you're, you're being given an opportunity to grow. Right. And, if you, uh, want you know, sometimes... Somebody, if you want to attract somebody to love you unconditionally, mm-hmm. you first have to love yourself unconditionally and be the very um, person that you want to attract. I find sure. that people who don't have a lot of self-love actually attract people who treat them disrespectfully. Yeah, that's true. And I'm like, listen, if, if you want that to change, practice self-love. Look at yourself and see yourself as a divine being made out of love. And love yourself every day. Then I tell them, when you get to that place and you, and you have that place where you love yourself, it won't be long before you attract somebody who will love you with the same kind of passionate desire that you want. It's so, true. Yeah. It, it's so easy, and they spend so much money on shrinks. It's <laughs> unbelievable. They can... You know what? They should come over and see me, pay me the same amount of money, and uh, at least I'll be able to fix them. <laughs> well, it's it's that, or they have to blame their parents for not potty training them correctly. So you know, any way you go. <laughs> Funny, that's hilarious. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Very true. Well said. <laughs> it is. I'll let you guys yeah. get back to it. I'm sorry, but had to jump in. No, I'm glad, glad you did. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to Oh, com- I could go on whatever you know I can, but it is your show. So no. um, go, go, go your direction. Go ahead. Ask him if there was a UFO over the, over the manger. Okay, so Reverend Ed, people <laughs> talk about the – Magi were following this star, and then all of a sudden it stopped over the manger. Okay, that that's stars don't do that. They keep, or, you know, they're in a fixed place, but the Earth keeps spinning. Uh, so it looks like the stars you know, move, but um, so th- this star of Bethlehem is doing aerodynamics that are uh, unaccounted for. So is the Star of Bethlehem a UFO? Yes. How about that? Well, because what's a UFO? An unidentified flying object, correct? Now, what what do you think was it was? It, I mean, it's, it's, was it an it's, alien? Yeah. Right. No. Um, the fact that the wise men had been tracking this thing for years, they had developed charts, 
that actually had the star indicating certain things. So they were aware, these astronomers, as it were, they were aware of this manifestation up on it. They noticed what quadrant of space it was in. They amassed their um, their entourage because it wasn't just three individuals. It literally was a mass of wise men. They're considered wise in the Bible. And that's important because if um, in the if in scriptures they're considered wise and meant wise in a godly way. And there is historical proof, evidence, that these men who were royal actually were part of a school that had been started by Daniel. Daniel, the lion's den, who rose Mm -hmm. from a place of poverty to literally being ruler over Babylon. Um, So they had been trained on how to look for synchronicities in the universe, uh, you know, God doing his thing. So it reminds me of when the Israelites were delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians and so that by night they were led by a pillar of fire, which illumined their way when they walked at night and kept them warm from the cold of the desert. And then during the daytime, they were led by uh, the, the pillar of fire became a pillar of like a cloud or smoke, and it provided the shelter but still led them through the wilderness. It doesn't surprise me that the same source that did that was the one that led the wise men to the very place where Jesus would be uh, waiting for them which was not at the manger, but at a house that they had bought. And Jesus was a toddler at that point. So probably took them to get everything set up and ready to go. Probably took them about a year or two. So it took a little while. But see, That's why it's important that when you look at the scriptures, you look at the scriptures because one simple little phrase like later that same day or they went to the house. So I believe it might have been an angel. Wait, let's talk a second about the gifts that they brought. Yes. Um, Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Not exactly your... Your your normal baby gifts. <laughs> Correct. Um, they were, yeah. I mean, come on. When when I think of baby gifts, I think of swaddling clothes or, you know, the gold. I understand that that makes sense. Frankincense right. and myrrh. Can can you explain those two? Because, frankly. Um, <laughs> They're not exactly the kind of things anybody in any time frame would have given to a baby as a baby gift. Right. Right. Um, Well, firstly, 
leave frankincense was a gift uh, to to the toddler Jesus because these gifts were more prophetic than they were um, intended. It, it was a form of worship. And when they gave the gold, it was for two reasons. Obviously, so that the child was a, the child was acknowledged as a king, and so you give gold to a king. But it also was a form of an offering because they acknowledged that he was also divine. And gold is always symbolic of um, the divine. So now frankincense is a little bit different. And, and that's because um, that one is more of a consecration. Again, they, they offered the frankincense because that was, again, an acknowledgement of his, um, his deity. So, um, and, then the, uh, and then the myrrh, that's more, that was more like a medication. But also it was um, – What's the word I'm thinking of? It was for his burial. So literally, it was all the stages of, the, of his life. Gold for the present moment, representing deity. The frankincense was more of the consecration for the type of work that he would be doing as, as high priest. And then myrrh was for his burial. Isn't that fascinating? It, it is. And, you know, when you, when you initially hear the story and – and you're not a student of of the Bible or of the symbology or whatever, all I can think of is here's this young girl who's just had a baby all by herself, I might add. Um, right. And, and these people come, and, and the gifts to the baby are gold, good, can use the gold, frankincense and myrrh. What the hell are you thinking? And, you know... I mean, I know she studied in a temple. I know that she was, you know, the, I understand, you know, with, with the reading that I've done, that, that she had a greater understanding of what was going on to a degree. But still, mm-hmm. brand new baby, and this is what you bring. Oh, my goodness. Right. Was there not a woman in the crowd? Was there not a woman <laughs> astronomer anywhere? Diapers. But think of it this like a, It's like a Monty Python episode. Right. Yeah. But think about how many people actually was in this in their house. It wasn't just the the wise men, but it was also their uh, their assistants, their their um, their entourage. So, so th- when I say that they brought an abundance, it was fabrics. Now I'm only I'm, I'm only talking about what the the Middle Eastern mindset was at that time. So they did give copious amounts of well, fabrics for clothes, uh, robes, and I, I'm sure that they, I don't know. But I do know that... Was that all packed up and taken to Egypt with them? I mean... Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. And that's why they needed it. But the but those three things specifically, it's like being in the military. When I was in the military, I was given orders for only a specific thing. I wasn't told about what the other people were doing. When I was in the desert, they were like, listen, 
this is what needs to happen. Here's this, this, and this, and here is what you need to look out for. And I was like, okay, what about this, that? Nope, it's only need to know. Because uh-huh. it's mentioned in the scripture, it's almost like the author of that particular gospel is like, listen, this is what you really need to know, and that's the fact that the three major gifts that they received, gold, because they were proclaiming that this child was literally God in manifest form, frankincense, because of kingship, because they acknowledged him as the divine king, and myrrh to honor him in his death. So it was um, basically a prophecy of prosperity, of blessing upon this child. But when they gave those gifts, they were like, you know, we pronounce this blessing upon you for the role that you will play on the earth from the beginning all the way through the end. So in that respect, it was like, you know, receiving a, I don't know, a prophecy from the Magi. But it was so copious that they were able to take it to Egypt and live comfortably and still return, you know, come back to Nazareth and have their own business. I mean, literally, he worked with his dad as a carpenter in their own business. So thanks to those wise men. Okay. So. I just, I, I, it still, it still riles me a little bit. It also, you know, were there no female astronomers in that time? Was this sure. an occupation that, you know, it, I, well, I would they, hope so. Well, there were certainly female judges, like Deborah. Uh-huh. Deborah was a judge. So, yes, of course there was. But again, when you're looking at... Right, it's it's almost like there's a particular message that they were trying to convey. So instead of it being like a tourist magazine where they say, "Oh yeah, this happened and this happened," they were just saying, "Listen, this is this is the big this is the important the big- thing that happened." Right. Maybe he did get a little pony. You know, maybe there was a little girl <laughs> that played with baby Jesus. Who knows? Would you you nice read the apocrypha know. and you get all kinds of weirdness in it but oh yeah yeah like how baby jesus killed somebody and then raised him from the dead and tried to hide it yeah <laughs> i nearly choked on my orange when i read that anyway i like but, that story I, well come on he he made a, a a tree come to to bear fruit and in a heartbeat type stuff too i mean i i yeah i i think that if one really starts to research all of the all of the different um, books that are out there, the, the the approved ones and the the unapproved ones, the it it beefs up Jesus so that, that that he becomes the human that he actually was, alongside the the spiritual aspect of him, the divinity of him. Um, there are very few pictures of him smiling, yet I'm sure he smiled and laughed. Um, Again, that's religion for you, because the scripture very plainly says, "In the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy." 
Well, if uh-huh. he is the Lord, clearly he must have been a very happy person. You know what I mean? It just and then then on the cross, like he's like he starved himself for six weeks, and he looks like a toothpick. No, I mean the man was a blue, he was a construction worker, so uh-huh. he had to carry that wood around. But who wants to, you know, who wants to hear about a a, a well toned Jesus? You know what I mean? But realistically speaking, he was. So that's what gets my granola, Barbara. <laughs> As when all well, these... you, know, the, you know, the the more you learn about this, the more you research and the different things that you read, he becomes more real and more for me, more believable. And and I think that that's uh that's a sadness that some people just stick with whatever the church says, you know, with all due respects, and right. and they don't go and, and, and dig further and, and learn about the person, which, right. which I think is sad because there's, there's so much out there today that, that, is, um, that gives, gives, gives a greater depth to the person and the and the angst and the anxiety and and the inner turmoil that he went through in in order to fulfill his promise to humanity. Right. Also, something else that slipped my mind because I was thinking Barbie dolls for Jesus because somebody planted <laughs> the idea in my head, Barbara. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's the fact that those three gifts represented the life of Jesus, that he is king, that he is God, and that he is also fully human. And Mm -hmm. uh, that was Luke's big thing. Now, Luke was not one of the 12, but he was one who came after. He was um, Paul's personal physician. So, but he went back and interviewed everybody, and then he developed his own, plus wrote the book of Acts. But he wanted to demonstrate that Jesus was fully human but also fully divine that was his big thing that was the that was his view on the life of Jesus so when he was talking about the wise men coming into the person's into the home and this this the toddler Jesus there that was what they were trying to acknowledge but man I can't even imagine how many people. There were so many people that King Herod noticed that, and he's turning around to his wise men, and he's like, why, are the, why is this entourage heading into my city? And then he mentioned, oh, what's this about this Messiah being born? The elders literally told him, yes, it's the prophecy in Isaiah 9, where it says this, that, and the other thing, and it was a child was born. Well, that's what they're referring to. What fascinates me is if they knew that was the prophecy and that it was coming to pass, how come they didn't drop everything and run? Yeah. Well, that's because they were so wrapped up in their religious tradition that when the revelation shows up, guess what happens? They're too busy, you know, worshiping the fake Jesus. Yeah. Or or they're they're hanging on to the power that they have and they don't yes, want ma'am. somebody to take that power away from them. That is very true. My when I was uh, when I was ordained, 
just before I was ordained, I was in the Air Force at the time. And my colonel wanted to do an experiment because he was a student of human nature. And so he said, he said to me, I know you're getting ordained this weekend. He said, on Monday, I don't want you to come in with your uniform. I said, sir? He said, I would like you to come in wearing your collar. I said, is there a reason for that? He said, I want to see how they respond to you. Now, they've gotten to know you. They know who you are, but I want to see what happens when you put the plastic on. Uh-huh. Okay, sir. Monday rolls around. I'm wearing my brand new collars. Come strutting in, and everything changed. It was the most craziest thing. People stumbling over themselves, saying hello to me. It was, you know, they're like, they didn't know how to respond. You know, yeah. here I was. I was joking around with them on Friday, but on Monday, all of a sudden, they're calling me sir and everything. And but it was a good lesson because the colonel also was trying to teach me something. He was letting me know that because I wear the collar, that would in some way endow me with some privileges that I would not have had if I didn't wear my collar and that I was to use that wisely. That was a very, very profound lesson he taught me. And he wasn't even a religious man, but he just wanted to make sure I got that hint. And so just that little bit, and, you know, having my eyes open just enough to see that, I can imagine, like you said, Barbara, here's this guy and these elders, these high priests, the type of um, power and sway, because their voice is the voice of God kind of thing. I could see that. And then here comes this blue-collar worker who's, a, who's had, you know, smells like pine, uh-huh. and they're running off after him. Or a little baby that one day is going to grow up to be a king. Oh, no, I can't have that. I plan on being king, and my son is going to be king, not some guy that's going to come out of Egypt or Nazareth or wherever he's coming from. I want all the babies four years old and younger killed. Yeah. But here's an interesting parallel, though. Here's the parallel. Egypt, when Moses was rescued by being tossed into the Nile, at that time, Pharaoh was trying to cull the Jewish um, population in Egypt. So he ordered children four years old and younger to be thrown into the swamps with the alligators. But Moses was protected. I find that interesting that the King Herod did the same thing. It's almost like the same source of information was guiding them both to do the same thing to try to stop a key figure from fulfilling his destiny. Isn't that something? But Yeah, but isn't that something that has happened over and over and over throughout time that that entity or, or an organization gets so powerful that they tend to try to to inhibit or prevent anyone who could come in and take some of their power from them, even if it's to the betterment of all of humanity. And, you know, you you see that over and over and over again, and not talking politics, not talking religion, just talking, you know, on, on 
on an individual basis and, you know, stretch it into a world um, concept as well. There's something about power that, what is it they say, power power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Power corrupts, absolutely, yes. Yes, ma'am. And, 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 you know, that's, that's something that if we are not careful as individuals, that, that, that swell of, of that, that, that um, process can, can easily happen again. And, I mean, I mean it's, it's sort of like, you know, people talk about Jesus returning. You know, he'd be an idiot to come back because we killed him last time. So, so in, to my mind, the return of Jesus is, is the awareness of Jesus' consciousness and humanity rather than somebody coming in the clouds on a white horse. It, it, to me, the, the return, the, the um, Jesus coming again is us recognizing that Jesus consciousness that we have inside of ourselves and living it. You'd be um, surprised. Have- that, yes, there's a large swath of Christians that are amillennialists, which is what you're what, – what, that would be the religious label of where you would fit, is that uh, – yeah that they would be submitted enough to the presence of God within them that they would literally become the manifestation of Christ as a body, as a group of people, and thereby uh, ushering in a new age or new era of peace and harmony, unifying the spiritual and the physical as one. So, Uh yeah. Yep. So all of that is, is absolutely fascinating to me. But at all, once again, as I said before, none of that can happen unless one seed falls to the ground and dies. Yeah. You can't have a harvest unless you plant a seed. And to me, that's what Christmas is. It's like God hearing, and then he plants the seed in the earth uh-huh. and starts from that. So anyway. Well, I think in, in spite of everything that's going on, people are still celebrating, which I think is wonderful. Oh, absolutely! Christmas is my favorite holiday, and I'm a, and I am. Oh my gosh, I'm a huge romantic. So it's just like, if I could meet my soulmate on Christmas, that would be that would be the icing on the cake. So. Oh jeez. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, Sleepless in Seattle, my favorite movie. What can I say? But uh, <laughs> good, good movie. I know. Good movie. It is a good movie. You know, uh, I I grew up as a kid knowing that there was somebody out there. I knew it. It wasn't like a wishful thinking. It was a knowing. And when I saw the movie, they had that little thing that said, what if someone you never met, someone you never knew, was the only someone for you? I I actually broke down in tears. I'm like, "Does, does somebody really understand what I'm going through? And then I watched the movie. I'm like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. So maybe I'm planting the seed for a romance to happen on Christmas. Who knows? But well, I um, I, I I wish it for you. Well, thank you, Barbara. I knew I liked you for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted magic to say, happens, I, 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 no magic happens in the most unusual of ways. So you never know. Well, I'm actually in the process at the moment 
is a friend of mine that uh, that is a wonderful human being, and we have been friends for years. But then on this cycle, we've become the very best of friends with a little fringe of romance. So who knows? But it's fun. It's a fun thing. Definitely. So, yes. But I wanted uh, to say so- – uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, Nightlight's becoming a dating network now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Little Nightlight. I like that. <laughs> you well, play, night, some, night play light. some, uh, some Barry White. Nightlight was, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Nightlight was, Mark, I'm going to kill you. Nightlight was created <laughs> to be a nightlight in the darkness of the times to present. Amen people with 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 a nightlight that can help them to light the way to find the light within themselves. That's what that Road to Hope intent. is about. Yes. Yeah, yes. see, when I, when I put Road to Hope together, that was the whole point because there are so many different things people are going through. But uh-huh. there is a road that leads to hope. And my outro is... Remember, my friends, on the road to hope, the truth is out there, and he's waiting for you. I always right. say that because I'm applying Jesus. But nonetheless, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always about hope. That's my whole mission in life is to provide hope for people. So, good yep. mission. It is a good mission, absolutely. I'm grateful for it. I am working, as we speak, actually, I'm putting together a five-part series on the power of prayer slash manifestation. Uh-huh. And it's a, it's a parallel between the nativity story and the um, parable of the, of the sower. Because we know in the parable of the sower, Jesus is like, if you want to know how the kingdom of God operates or how the universe operates or whatever you want to say, then this is how it goes. And he said, talks about the farmer flinging revelation out or the seed. And inside each seed is the literal blueprint of the plant itself, which is amazing to me. Inside a little package is the material as to how big the plant's going to be, how much fruit it's going to bear. Everything is locked up in that tiny seed. And all I have to do is plant it in the ground. I don't know how it works, but day by day, little by little, it starts to sprout and grow. And eventually, it becomes the very plant that I planted. And then when it goes to seed, I'm now reaping back much more than I planted out. And so I was looking at that. And, you know, Christmas was rolling by. And, of course, I'm going over the nativity story. And in the parable of the sower, when Jesus is is explaining it, he said, the seed is the word of God. Now, I saw in another place when Peter wrote a letter, he said that the word of God or the revelation of God, the spoken word of God is incorruptible seed, which made me think. I have a friend of mine who's a farmer, and he's told me a lot of times that when they got bags of seed – they have to take a loss because a large portion of the seed is going to be dead or infertile. But the incorruptible seed 
always produces. And so, you know, back to the parable where the, this revelation is planted within the consciousness, the subconscious, the heart of each individual. But each individual has a different focus in their life. Uh-huh. Maybe some is like a economical, social thing. Maybe some is uh, persecution for the spiritual walk. Or some are just oblivious to what's going on. But there's that one person that actually receives the word, the revelation, the image of whatever it is that's the intention, plants it within the subconscious, and then that image by itself goes to work, and slowly but surely what is on the inside is manifested on the outside. And so I was thinking, if that's how God orchestrates things, how the creator orchestrates how everything is done, wouldn't then the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords have to conform to that? And so I went back into the nativity and I saw, here's this woman, she's a virgin. And that represents the people of God. And then this prophetic revelation that was passed down from generation to generation, male child to be born, wonderful counselor, mighty God. And each revelation given carries the power within itself to fulfill. So it's like little capsules of creative power. Then when the angel, the messenger, presents this, she says, be it done unto me according to the revelation. As soon as she says that, she's profoundly affected in such a deep way that she sings this beautiful praise song to God, the, the Magnificat. And at that moment, she conceives. And well, then, little by little... Don't they say that if indeed the word is um, that message, um, isn't it said someplace that words don't begin to live until they're spoken. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what happened. The word was spoken. And Isaiah 55:11, the sun comes the, the snow comes down and covers the earth but doesn't return but waters the plants and provides seed for the sower bread for the eater. So it is that my word shall go forth out of my mouth and shall not return empty. But will fulfill the purpose for which I sent it. And there it is. And then, literally, he's known as the full revelation, the full word of God. Then, he goes out, produces fruit, and multiplies himself to the point now that there are those of us that are all over the place that are like him. That's amazing to me. And it just started with one seed. And so that's what I'm working took, on. Working it, on this thing. And it only took 2,000 years. And it only took 2,000 years in the span of infinity. So, yeah, yeah 2,000 years for us is like, oh, my gosh, that's horrible. But, you know, in the mind of God, what's 2,000 years? Eh, you know, I got an extra 1,000 years. I'm going to play around do something else. But, eh, 2,000 years should be enough. <laughs> True. So then, I always, uh, I, I'm not an, I'm not a Bible teacher that that teaches 
history or spiritual principle without giving a practical application to it. So I tell people that's the last lesson that I'm, that I'm doing is how you can create an influence of reality by doing the exact same thing by using the principles of Christmas. So it's it just, it's amazing. I can just see that, that pattern. And I'm working on something right now. I was in meditation just recently on something, and this revelation came to me. It was something I've been praying about. And it became so real that I knew that I already possessed it. Ever have that sense? So maybe you're meditating and praying on something, but you knew that you knew that you knew that you had it? Oh, yeah. Well, okay, so I took that, and now I'm taking that very seed and I'm planting in my heart, and I'm excited to see how it manifests. I don't care how it manifests because that's not my job. My job is, excuse me, my job is to turn the revelation over and let the divine creative power within me bring to pass the thing that I planted. But, excuse me, I know for a fact that when this thing comes past, I am going to be excited. So, anyway. <laughs> Yes, I love my yeah, that, life. That's the one thing. Well, that, you're, and you're joyful. And that's, you know, when people ask me, am I on the right, are you, if they were, are on the right path, I, I ask them if they're joyful. And if they're joyful, then they're on the right path. Um, well, then I must be strutting my path. <laughs> <laughs> For the moment. You never know. There are always U-turns and, and come-arounds and all sorts of stuff. So um, Yes, I've had my share of those, too, so I think I can handle it all right. <laughs> I yeah, got my mask. I've hit a few, I have hit a few brick walls in my day, too, but um, going with the flow works a lot better. Isn't that true? I'm done with the yeah. salmon life, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Uh, swimming upstream is is fruitless. It doesn't work, and uh, it, it. But but everybody has to try it. Yeah. You know, they, Unfortunately, I mean, if if you don't, if you, I, I have said often that that the good teachers are ones who have experienced all the lessons they're trying to teach. Um, and and the and any teacher that tries to teach a lesson they haven't been through themselves their words will fall on empty ears. Um, it just uh, it doesn't work. If you've experienced it, you can talk about it with validity. People will listen. You have to earn the right to be heard. Yep. I agree. I almost Every now do. and then I kind of look around and say, did I really want to be able to talk about this? <laughs> Apparently so. So... Uh, Gives you credibility, Mark. Mark, the show is yours. For heaven's sakes, get in here. Oh, I'm I'm enjoying uh, hearing you two talk. I mean, it's, uh, I I think the Reverend Ed just uh, presented a just real you know, down to earth. Um, heart-to-heart discussion tonight. You know, Barbara, you uh, were motivated to jump jump in and just extended that discussion. I've, I've, I think it's just been a uh, fantastic show. 
Well, your shows always are. Yes, I agree. Well, thank and thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh, my gosh. It, yeah, it was and, wonderful. Yeah, and, you know, uh, Daryl's getting the studio back up, and what, uh, you'll be um, doing Road to Hope. Yes, I'll be going later this to, week, or probably after the first of the year. For, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'll I'll begin the um, the series on the seed. So okay. absolutely. It, it, it and uh, how, how do uh, people tune in? For that you're on uh, Facebook and get it. Your yep, they can go on Facebook uh, you, and uh, they can YouTube. find the Global Enlightenment Radio Network. Yep, or YouTube definitely. Same thing. Just look up Global Enlightenment Radio Network, Road to Hope, or you can just type in Road to Hope, Rev Ed, and then you'll see my face in there. So definitely, and ask questions. I am not afraid of questions. Ask, ask big. How you learn unless you ask questions. So I used to drive my, my pastors insane. Like, Rev, I've got a question for you. Uh, Father Tom, I have a question for you about the trans, oh, transmigration of souls. Yeah, that one. Could you please explain that to me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then people wonder why I have all the answers. Well, it's because I asked the questions. Well, you and your ha, have a, enough answers that your shows are uh, three hours long. Yes. You know, when I first started, I was like, I wonder how I'm going to fill the three hours. But then I realized that the source of all wisdom and revelation lies within me. And usually I take time to, you know, plan the show, what I'm going to do each hour. But there are some times I know for a fact God's like leaving me hanging until is the three, two, one countdown. And bam, I'm on the air three hours and I have no idea what I'm going to say. And sometimes those are my best shows because I'm like totally relying upon inspiration as I do it. So, But that doesn't mean I do it all the time. I usually have the shows planned, but yeah, it's good. It's a good show. Oh, I think so. it is too. That's, that's why. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, you know, they're, they're most uh, what fr- Friday and Saturday nights. Yes, I was Friday and Saturday night, but due to some developments in uh, my home life, uh, I'm going to have to cut it back to. Three hours. But see, I, I look at Daryl and I'm like, this man has to change because this man literally sits through six hours of pure <laughs> biblical teaching. <laughs> so I'm like, somebody loves you. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, oh, you know, we're 
down to uh, like two two minutes uh, left. Um, let's see if there's any. Oh, the uh, Vatican Astronomy Department is uh, monitoring comet uh, Leonardo or uh, uh, Leonard. Yes, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Yeah, they also have their eyes on something else because they believe that there's another comet that's coming. That is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Um, but I don't know because, frankly, if you're going to name a telescope Lucifer, I have a problem with that. I'm like, how far have you fallen that you're literally going to name a telescope after the arch nemesis of humanity? Oh, because it means light bringer. Right. Still, it's named you ever Lucifer. tried to you put couldn't... together one of those complicated things that don't have directions? That's probably what happened to them. The directions for the telescope didn't arrive with it, and they had to do it on their own. Oh, so they sold this, <laughs> told the Satan to get the directions. Makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's another example of uh, speaking things into existence. Yes. A lot of people don't realize that, but they do it every day. I, it's like um, yeah, what I say. It's I call it being hung by the tongue. You know, my mom always comes up with these sayings, and it's like, um, so goes Monday, so goes the rest of the week. But if you have a horrible Monday, you literally curse the rest of your week. It's like, why don't you just start speaking good things over yourself? The tongue is a very powerful thing. It changes the whole course of your life. Might as well speak life, speak good things. But that, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we're down to the last few seconds. And it, Reverend Ann, I just want to say Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for providing a great. Christmas show for us. I'll be back. Uh, You're welcome. You know, my, you know, regular Tuesday uh, show. And you know, I hope uh, it's going to be a busy week. I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas if you don't tune in uh, later this week. But uh, thank you so much, Barbara and Reverend Ed. And we'll see you on Tuesday.